You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. Psalm 13. In thinking about, so there's seven years, this is the seven-year mark, actually in the 11th, I believe, 10th or 11th was seven years that we've been a church. And, and I know a lot of churches, I mean, I remember at Central, of course, we'd, you know, they'd been there a long time. They've been there about, what, 40 years now or so, 35, 40 years. Roland's been there 30-some-odd years. And uh, and I, I don't remember really having a, any kind of celebration or acknowledgement of another year passing as a church, but but I learned in South America and in the Hispanic churches that it was a really big deal that your church made it from year to year. And for us, I mean, I'm going to tell you, it's a big deal that it made it from year to year. I mean, it's a big deal. It made it for eight weeks, and then it made it for a year, and then different people came and showed up and things like that. And, and uh, we, we sang at least one song this morning. I'm not sure if all three were from the original run there, but that opened up the heavens. I believe we sang that on the first Sunday. And we had problems with our computer this morning, so we almost did it like we did it on the first time with just uh, papers to sing off of. And uh, we're, we're going to have to replace our computer, tragically. It about gave up the ghost. To, that's what happened last week when it went off, and we got something going on with the, the inlet side of there. But, you know, God's, God's so good, he waits till the, he's like, all right, you got the building paid off. Time to buy a computer. <laughs> so, man, I mean, we yeah, let's give God a hand of the praying off, of paying off the building. I mean... What a blessing, man. Three years. We did it in three, or three years, what, four years? About three and a half years, maybe. We paid this off. It was about, about 275000 or so with a relatively small group of people, and we still were able to give about seventy a year, 70000 a year to missions. Man, that's something. I'm not, don't, don't get too prideful, but it's something to be proud about. There's a lot of churches that struggle for years to pay off their building and things, and, and that's a blessing as well. Let me read this psalm, and we'll keep going. How long, O Lord, Psalm, one, psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say I've prevailed against him. Let those who, lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I've trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. A lot of times, and I was telling him this morning during prayer time, a lot of times we forget how we got here. I'm like, Lord, you're not hearing my prayers. You're not hearing me when I cry out. He hears. He hears. But look back on what he's done. What has he done in our fellowship? We've seen children born in our fellowship. We've seen people born into new spiritual life in our fellowship we've seen people accept the gospel in our fellowship we've seen people come and go we've seen people go on to other ministries from our fellowship we've got to plant a couple little churches from our fellowship we've got to work in other churches from our fellowship this is a small group of people it's not we don't have a thousand people here we got on average probably what 65 to 85 depending on the depending on the year and the time of year and so on we don't have a lot of people here We've been able to provide, we bought one building for $50,000, $50,000. We raised $50,000 in like a month and bought a building in Peru for them to do a compassion out of. We put another $30,000 in a, in about two months uh, to build a church in Peru. We did another 30000 here recently to help a guy. I think we've done it at least three times, if not four times. We've come up with a large sum of money like that 
just from the generosity of people here and also people connected to our fellowship. That's something to be proud of. Proud in that we're doing what we're called to do. We are called to plant a church and then to grow to the church and then to reap the harvest. And we've gotten to be in on all of those parts over time. And it's exciting to be a part of that. Um, this, this psalmist says he's praying. He's, he's kind of negative there in the first four verses. God, why don't you hear me when I cry? Why don't you hear me when I pray? How come I don't see your hand moving? But if I look back, the reason he rejoices at the end, he trusted in his mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has, past tense, dealt bountifully with me. God has been so good to you. God's been so good to us here at Plant Grow Harvest, and, and we need to give him the glory and the honor for that. On this day, the message I, I was thinking first is we could go to 1 Corinthians and see where Paul was continuing to gather wealth together to go to other churches. And I was like, well, that's probably not where it's at. And I thought about, well, we could go to Chronicles where Solomon, you know, they have the big hurrahs. They get the church built. They had all that stuff collected. David had collected all and, and, and Solomon as well. All this gold and all this wood and all this stone. And I said, no. <laughs> and I thought, well, we go to Revelations and read the letters to the, to the churches of Revelation, see if we're doing those things. And and while I was reading on uh, yesterday morning, you know, you get in your mind, I don't know, you guys don't have to have a message each week, but when you have to have a message for the week, you, you don't start on Saturday morning. You start on Sunday, immediately after church ends, for the one for the coming week. And if you have to do Wednesday night and Friday night as well, then you'll be, you better be hustling. So I'm, I'm in reading for that, preparing for that for the week. I had the direction I was going to go. And then yesterday morning, I began to read Luke 17, what Maggie read to us this morning. And, um, and I think that's what we're going to work on this morning. Because as members of the body of this fellowship, it's what we need to continue the work of the gospel. I think we kind of pass over some of the stuff sometimes. So we're going to bear down on Luke chapter 17. If you had to sit down honestly and make a list of the things of life that consume your time, um, the things that you dedicate yourself to, if you had to do it, I'm, we're gonna, that's going to be the challenge is to make this list. You'd probably be a little embarrassed, actually. If you actually had to assign the total amount of hours, so you got 168 hours a week, if you had to sit down and write out what you spent the hours on, you know, eight hours a night for sleeping, you know, seven times that's 56 hours right off the top. Maybe you sleep less, maybe you sleep more. And then how much in watching TV and how much in watching kids and how much in cooking dinner and how much in traveling and how much in going to work and how much... You know, if you think about it, you only spend about 40 hours a week, most people, in work, unless you're a contractor and then you spend like 70, <laughs> I mean, or a housewife, then you spend like 100. But for most people, somewhere in the average, is considered 40 hours a week, right, to work. So if you take 40 hours out of 168, that leaves you 128 hours for all the other stuff, sleeping and eating and going and doing. And if you had to make this list, how much of a percentage of your life have you dedicated as unto the Lord. Uh, in every endeavor, there's probably some good to be found. I think I kind of broke it down into three things. So when you make your list for this uh, this Sunday, when you go home and make this list, as you bow your head in shame and make this list, I broke it down into three things. The first one is things where I'm taking dominion, like the Bible tells me to do. So taking dominion things. The second thing is recreational things. And the third thing is painful. It's called worthless things. And all of our lives are divided into these three things. Um, 
in the taking dominion things, that's the things like the income earning that you do, the gardening that you do, the caring for your yard, that's taking dominion over the earth. You're, it's trying to outgrow you and you're trying to keep it at bay. It's taking dominion. Caring for animals, caring for your family, all those things are part of taking dominion. Uh, recreate, you know, even construction, anything that you do with your hands that's, that's developing, uh, taking dominion over the products of the earth, the things that God gave us, and he said, um, be fruitful and multiply, take dominion, spread out, fill the earth. All those things that are involved in that is taking dominion things. We all have those in our lives. And then the next part is the R&R, recreation and rest. Um, we do spend a, a good part of our life, particularly in America, in, um, in R&R. And then the last thing is the worthless things. And I don't even want to point what those are, but I, I mean, just in offhandedly, I would say things that are completely worthless would be like watching TV or looking at things on the internet where you're just wasting time. Um, I read a thing years ago. It said that your mind, that your brain has, has less function watching TV than it does when it's asleep. It does less when you're watching TV than when you're asleep, if you can believe that. It doesn't even, you think, well, it's analyzing what it's watching. Believe it or not, your brain just lets stuff pass through there while you're watching TV. And uh, so we spend a lot of time doing that. It's a completely worthless thing. It doesn't edify anyone, doesn't edify us, and it doesn't take dominion over anything. It's someone else taking dominion over us, really. So how much of what you do is taking dominion? So we've got layers of options here, and I'm not saying your whole life has to be about taking dominion and driving hard and, and never resting and only ministering the gospel. But how much of your life or where are you spending these aspects of your life? You think about the most valuable aspect that you have is your time. We all have a certain amount. We don't know what the number is, but there's no more of it. Once you've used up today, right, we can never go back. We can never go back and fix the things of yesterday. So our time is very valuable, how you choose to spend your time. So you got three options there, taking dominion time, recreation time, or worthless things. All may have some value in a sense. Uh, but they all have the potential for stealing the most important part of your life, which is your time. Let's read Luke 17. Let's read it one more time. I know Maggie read it, and I appreciate it. You did, she did a great job. Anyway, she left. But it's amazing to see Maggie grow up to think about her. I mean, she, they've come from, you guys have come about six years anyway. You may not come right at the beginning, but you came pretty close to the beginning. And it was good to see the girls growing up. And, and um, she's such a pretty young lady and did a good job reading this morning. Uh, verse 5, Luke 17, verse 5. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And which of you, having a servant, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat? But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I think not. So likewise you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we're unprofitable servants, we have done which was our duty to do. It's interesting where this parable falls. It falls between the, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus and the return of the king, the second coming. If you Those parables are on both sides of this. In between is the little parable about... Um, being gentle with children and forgiveness, but for the in the big in the big stories on both sides of that is the rich man and Lazarus and the uh, return of Christ. 
up to this point, the, Israel, the uh, disciples have seen Jesus do the miraculous. They've seen him feed the 5,000, the 7,000. Um, they've seen him walk on water. They've seen him do all kinds of things, raise people from the dead, um, speak to Pharisees with authority. Uh, they've seen uh, just all these fantastic things that Jesus has done. And yet they ask this question. You don't see it as a question, but it's a question, really. They've seen him do all these things, and they kind of ask him, increase our faith. In other words, I've seen you do all these things. Are you really the guy? Are you really the Messiah? It, they need assurance that he's a Messiah because, you know, eternity is a long time to get it wrong. I want to make sure I got this right. Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the one I'm supposed to follow? and not the law or the prophets or the Pharisees or something like that. In asking that, Jesus gives them a really simple answer. He says, have a little faith, faith is a mustard seed, and do what a faithful person would do. How do I increase my faith? You're ask, if we, people ask me that, or people say, well, I, you know, I need this assurance of salvation. How do I increase my faith? At the rescue mission, the question they asked, I said, you can, you know, if you want to ask questions, ask questions. The guy says, well, I want to know, I mean, me and Jed have talked about this. I want to know what God wants me to do. Me and Dave have talked about this. Dave, Mr. Dave's got it together. He's asked me this question. I want to know what God wants me to do. God, just tell me what to do, and I'll do that. You want me to be a missionary? I'll do that. You want me to go to, you know, Isaac, anywhere but here. You want me to go to anywhere but Lima? I'll go. You know, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do that. And God said, I did tell you what to do. How do I increase my faith? There are, it's the same question. How do I increase my faith? How do I have assurance of salvation? And this is what Jesus says. Have a little faith and do what the faithful do. The mustard seed, I don't want to get tangled up in the mustard seed right now, but just remember, it's a small seed, grows into a big bush, all the birds of the air land in it. It has an odor to it, and we'll talk about that another day. But on this church anniversary day, I want to talk about this other part, about the dedicated slave. We don't like to use the word slave, but, you know, we, we've talked about that before. When they translated the Bible uh, there in the 1611 time, the King James, they really had a problem with that word slave. They were like, well, we'll use the word servant. They knew it was the word slave, duolos, but they used servant instead. But the word is slave. Which of you, having a slave... Plowing or tending sheep. So who's? So wait a minute. Let me let me back up here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try and grab three things out of here for you. The first is, the slave is doing dominion taking work. The second one is it's the very work that's expected of him and he does it well. And the third thing is the slave does not need to look for praise for doing the work that he's commanded to do. So the first is the slave is doing dominion taking work. The next one is the very work that's expected of him, he does well. And the last is the slave needs not look for praise for things that he's supposed to be doing. If you're commanded to do it, you shouldn't be looking for an boy after you do it. So let me back up and go, that rich man and Lazarus story, that's a true story. That really happened. Jesus is telling the people something that they were unaware of because it's happening in the supernatural realm. I would say the good, I would say most of, if not all of his parables are true stories that people knew about, like the Good Samaritan. They knew about the road, they knew about this guy, and he's talking about it, and he's using an example that they would have known about. And this is the same thing. 
they there he's talking about something that really happened we have paradise we have the the lost part and we have the saved part and he's reminding the these that are there that we all have an appointment with death we don't know how long but eventually we're going to hit this appointment and so as he goes into this short parable of the 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 servant serving the master what he's trying to teach them is your faith is going to grow your assurance is going to grow when you do whatever it is god commands you to do so let's look at the slave here which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep so what is the slave so who's the master it's a pretty easy thing to figure out who's the master who's the master jed jesus or god the father or the heavenly realm or the kingdom but it's it's god and his control over all things so who's the slave the slave is us those that follow him those that are his servants which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep what are the two options for servants in the kingdom of heaven the first one is sowing and the second one is shepherding you ever catch that before this is one of those ones i don't think i looked in the john MacArthur uh commentary on this there wasn't there wasn't three lines in that thing but uh which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep so the servant a good servant is doing the will of the master a good servant is either sowing seed a good believer a good christian an active righteous believing christian is either planting the seed or he's caring for the sheep pretty simple what am i supposed to do what are you supposed to do dave god what am i supposed to do just tell me sow seed or ten sheep that's what you're supposed to do that's the simplest way to put it it's something that all of us can apply to our lives any day the faithful servant does the work that god assigns him to do what did he assign us to do in matthew 28 go make disciples of all nations teaching them all the things that i commanded you baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit do this till the end of time teaching them all things so any person going along in their path of life could tell any other person all that christ had commanded us to do you don't have to go uh, you could tell them any of the parables you could tell them the beatitudes you could tell them the similitudes you could tell them the part where he was in the desert for 40 years tell them all the stuff that jesus did sowing or shepherding as you see people getting off the beaten path direct them back on the path as you see people making poor decisions as you see people harming their lives because they're living in a secular way as you see people living in a materialistic way as you see people living in a carnal way shepherd them back onto the path sowing or shepherding so the servant of god does dominion work to take dominion over the earth what was the first thing adam was to do he named the animals he cared for the garden do that and in that point other people keep the sheep in the pasture number two the faithful servant does what is expected of him and he does it well so jesus in the old uh, jesus then the old testament prophets the writers of the old testament then the new testament the disciples and the writers of the new testament all of them outline very clearly what it is the expectations god has for us as believers to be doing jesus is very clear and we said it a thousand times you know care for the widow and the orphan in their distress and i i look at my life and i say am i doing that if i'm not doing that i can do that 
Am I caring for the poor? Am I doing that? If I'm not doing that, I can do that. I don't have to dedicate every waking moment of my life to that, but when I see the opportunity for that to happen, I can do that. We've seen the example of orphans. Uh, the, the Smith family's adopted a child. The Bisbee family adopted a child. Maybe some of you others I'm not aware of. You know, we care for people, kids that are in hard times. We care for them, take them, care for them. We care for older ladies that can't care for themselves. We go and work on their house. We work on Marlene's house. If Marlene calls, we go over there. She's a widow. We take care of Marlene. It's what we're commanded to do. But it says, it, it says for us, God, God outlines what it is for us to do. We, have, we know what his expectations are. He gave us a book. He wrote it in a common way that even ignoramuses like us can read it and understand it. We know what his desires are. And so when we went to plant this church, we were trying to figure out a name. It may not be the world's best name, but we, this is the name we came up with. I largely blame Jed for this name. Plant, grow, harvest. We're going to plant a church. Well, that seems simple enough. I mean, just tell them what you're doing. We're going to plant a church. And then we're hopefully people will grow spiritually in this church. And eventually we will have a harvest of believers, people that came heard the gospel or we caught them in the net and they heard the gospel and they accepted Christ and then they began to grow and hopefully in time we plant another church which we've had the opportunity to do and we haven't done one recently but uh, hopefully we will and in the back of the shirt on this does it say it on that one the back one it says repeat that's the plan plant grow harvest and then do it again plant grow harvest, and do it again plant grow harvest and each time it takes a certain amount of effort Serve the master in the way he desires. The slave was sent to the field to plow and to tend sheep. You, O believer, have been sent to the nations to plow and to tend sheep. Will he come in from the field and come sit down at the master's table and ask the master, what are we have for supper? Is that what we do? The master is the master. He tells the servant, will he not rather say to him, the master, he doesn't say, good job on sowing and uh, tending the sheep. Does he not say, uh, when you get done with that, prepare me something. Gird yourself. Change your clothes. I don't want you nasty from serving, uh, you know, uh, sowing and tending. Change your clothes and serve me. I was talking to, I don't know, I can't even remember, remember now, but I was talking to somebody, and, and they were like, or maybe it was Joel, and uh, I was telling him about this. He goes, you know, it's, it's really good what I'm about to tell you. He goes, you're right. Jesus doesn't owe us anything. A lot of times we think, well, if I serve in this way, if I lead somebody to Christ, there should be some kind of accolade or something like, oh, wow, Dale, uh, that guy got saved, and Dale took him over and baptized him. Good job, Dale. Well, maybe you got that from a man, but from God, he's like, that's what you're supposed to be doing. When you get done with that, do it again. We get frustrated when we don't receive that sometimes from people because we're very prideful and arrogant. But God paid up front. He paid for our lives up front. He took Jesus Christ's extremely valuable life, and he spent it on our dead bodies to redeem us. From death he paid up front if the guy rescues you from the ocean you're drowning and the guy pulls up in the speedboat and drags you on the boat 
You owe him. He doesn't owe you. You owe him your life. So every time after that, when that guy says, hey, man, I know, I mean, I know it's been a while I hadn't talked to you, but I was wondering if you could come over and mow my grass. Yeah, man, thanks for mowing my, thanks for saving my life. Mow the grass. God bless you. Thank you, brother. <laughs> I was in water up to my neck, as it says in Psalm. And he saved me. So he, we owe him. He doesn't owe us. He doesn't owe us any kind of blessing or wealth or any kind of special life. If he saves you, it's enough. I was telling them about that song you sing at Passover called Dianu. You know, if he'd have just brought us out of Egypt, that would have been enough. If he'd have just gave us the law, that would have been enough. If he'd have just saved us from the plagues, that would have been enough. If he just gave us the Messiah, that would be enough. It was enough. He gave us the Messiah. We owe him. He doesn't owe us. The servant plows, the slave plows, and he tends the sheep. And he does it because Christ paid up front. Many people say, that he owes us a debt. You know, I have done that in the past. I went to some people when I was at, at Central years ago, and we were struggling, man. We had about 15 little boys in this class, about third graders. They were a bunch of bandits. And so I went into the church service to get some backup. It was like me and about an 80-year-old man in there. And he was a mean old feller. He was a good guy, but he was kind of fractious. So I went into the service, and I went and talked to a, another guy. I was like, this guy will do it. And this is what the guy said. He goes, you know what? It's good for you to do that. I used to do that stuff when I was young, and I'm, doing, I'm done doing that stuff now. You're not done. You're supposed to keep plowing, man, or tending sheep. And we needed some sheep tending. Them guys were going everywhere, man. They were like puppies. We got some puppies. You cannot control those things. We got ten puppies. You open the fence, and they don't, like, stay in a herd. They go like this. They go everywhere. That's how them boys were. And that guy's like, no, nah, man, I'm done doing that. Well, then you're an unprofitable servant. And how does Jesus talk about them? That's Luke 16, if you want to look at that in Matthew 25, 14. The unprofitable servants, the ones that aren't doing what they're supposed to do. The profitable servant is to be sowing, and he's to be shepherding sheep. What if you say, well, I'm too tired to serve. You know, I've used up all my energy already. And uh, Renee said, you know, a lot of times we're not too tired, we're just too disorganized. That was his line. I said, shut up, Renee. Man, he's such a bully. He gets up here when he's here. He beats us up, man. I had, to, I had to send him on his way. He left this week. He's preaching in Virginia, beating those people up now. But we are. We're too disorganized, or we're too selfish, or we're too ungrateful. But we truly have as much time and energy to serve the master as we set aside for that. We schedule every single thing of our life to do every single thing from, from getting up to making the meal to getting dressed to going to town to getting groceries to taking kids here and there to having sports to having fun to having vacations to we schedule all of it and we schedule zero time for serving the master. And we got the we got the priorities backwards. We're supposed to take our whole life and serve the master. And it says, uh, wouldn't he say Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till I've eaten and drunk. And afterwards, you may eat and drink. Oh, I'm supposed to serve him first. We have time and energy. I always have thought this. I've been places where there's terrible poverty in whatever. You name the place. The Philippines, in Africa, Brazil, Peru, whatever. Name the place. But what I've noticed is people no matter how terrible of poverty they are in always have enough money for whatever their vice is 
the poorest man in Africa, you'll see him, he's destitute, living on the street, and somehow he'll come up with enough money to buy that beetle nut that they chew that gives him some kind of, some kind of high. The, the, the meth addict that's walking around here, we saw some the other day at the rescue mission. They came up to get the meal, and they just wandered back into the woods. This person was completely out of control of their body and their mind and their mouth, and they were just wobbly, and they wobbled up there, got their food, and wobbled back in the woods. They have nothing, but they have enough money to get the one thing, the one vice that controls their life because their stuff's out of order. They're, God assigns us to take dis dominion and we choose instead to take R&R, &R, rest and relaxation, or worthless. And Jesus specifically says here, serve me first, and after that, you'll find time to rest. Number three, the good servant does not work for praise in this life for things he's commanded to do, or another way to put it, we should not expect praise from God for being obedient to God. We really like praise. Men, men do not do well with praise. Our ego demands that our wives tell us good job honey and otherwise we get all depressed and down or whatever but men people any any human does not do well with praise i can give you some good examples on that i, I saw that interview of tom brady and after he won the super bowl and he's like man is that all there is because the praise dies down this one guy that won uh, the indianapolis 500 he was that morning he was posed with the trophy that he had won two beautiful women this happened back in the 70s two beautiful women on each side of him, give him a little kiss, he drank the milk, whatever. And that evening, he was all by himself, and he went into a bar, and, and the bartender, the bar was completely empty, and he, he asked for a drink, and the bartender said, aren't you the guy that won the Indy 500 today? I mean, his life was fruitless. When it came down to it, he didn't have anyone. He only had praise and accolades when he was in success, and without the success or without that, he was just another forgotten face. He was just the invisible man. And all these people, Elvis, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry is another one. I saw her. She was just weeping, weeping because she had no purpose. She thought that the, the praise and the accolades that come from being on stage, that that would satisfy her. But men are not designed to be praised. We don't handle it well. We're a fallen being. And when people praise us, it harms us. It causes arrogance and pride to rise up in us. We don't do well with praise. We don't do well getting beat down all the time. But we don't do well with just that kind of adoration like that god alone is worthy to be praised the bible says that all of our natural righteousness is as filthy rags who praises filthy rags do you go in the outhouse and start heaping praise on the outhouse no it's it's filthy it's worthless the correct response for being obedient to the dominion work is we've done what our duty is to do verse 10 likewise you when you have done all the things which you are commanded say we're unprofitable servants we've just done what it was our duty to do. We just did what we were supposed to do. One of the, when I was in the service years ago, they put me on the grass mowing duty, and I had done that as a kid growing up just to make money, to mow grass and weed eater and stuff. And uh, a bunch of the black guys were kind of sitting behind the building, and I was mowing grass like the wind. I didn't mind mowing grass. I was good at it. I'm mowing grass. And the guy's like, what are you doing? I'm mowing the grass. What are you doing that for? They called it smoking and joking. They were back there smoking while I was mowing. But eventually a sergeant comes around there and checks out, and I'm mowing the grass. He goes, what are you doing? I said, they told me to mow the grass. I'm just mowing the grass. He's like, man, you must, he's like Forrest Gump, you must be a genius. You actually did what we told you to do. I mean, they, they were all shocked that I just did, and I got promoted uh, pretty quickly because I would just do what they asked me to do. It was, they didn't get any praise. The praise came in the promotion, but 
they were like, they were surprised that a guy is doing what he's supposed to do. As a believer, do whatever it is you're supposed to do. I came to this conclusion years ago and then talked to some different men about this. God doesn't really care what it is you do for a living. As long as it's not immoral, he doesn't care. What he wants you to do is do it as unto the glory of God. Do everything you do. There's three good scriptures. If you want to write them down, write them down there. See if you can write. Uh, it's Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever you put your hand to do, do it well. Uh, Colossians 3.37 and Ephesians 6.6 6 and 7. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Whatever you do, assume that God is observing you, taking dominion over that thing, and doing it excellently, as if he's watching. Whatever you do. And while you're doing it, sow and tend sheep. Whatever you do. Jed's the closet man. Pete's the, the businessman, bookkeeper, accountant, whatever, investor man. Zach's the contractor man. You know, uh, Charlie's the teacher man, Dave's the teacher man, baseball man. Whatever you do in all those things, do that better so that other people look and go, man, that guy really must like his job. Whether you like the job or not, because he does it with excellence. The Bible says that the man who is excellent in his work will stand before kings and not be ashamed. Do it in an excellent manner. And when they comment on it, say, I'm doing it as unto the glory of God and point him to the shepherd. And plant the seed. And they say, we got this going on. Me and Jed were in this lady's house. And she had all these Bibles and spiritual books. And I asked, are you a Christian? He goes, well, you know, I believe there's multiple ways to heaven. Hey, don't open the door if you don't want me to come in. There's only one way to heaven. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. She was like, man, hurry up and hang these blinds and get out of my house. <laughs> but sow the seed. Sow the seed. Tend the sheep. All I was doing was trying to get her back on the right path. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord, either so or shepherd. I've been on mission trips, truly, and some of you have as well, where I'm just tired. You get tired of driving. You get tired of sitting. You get tired of having the runs. You get tired of all those things that happen. You get tired. And then you meet the next person, and they're obviously lost. And you have to start back at zero again. If you were to die today, do you know that you would go to heaven? What makes you a good person? You know, did you know that Jesus came to die for you? Whatever. And that conversation is going to take a minute. But you're already tired. But it's what you're called to do. Even though the slave comes in, you think he's not tired from plowing and tending sheep all day? Master's been sitting around counting his shekels? He's not tired. He's well rested. But now he's hungry. Bring another to Christ. It says... Prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me. How do we prepare something for the master? We go and we tell someone about the gospel. We bring a new life to Christ for him to save. Our Savior should be served. Our Savior should be served before ourselves. What are we? We're made of dirt. He's perfect. And yet he deigns to hear our voice when we cry. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. He gave us eternal life. 1 John 5, 11 and 12. This is a testimony that God has given to us, eternal life. This life is in his son. He who has the life, he who has the son, has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. You got the son. You got everything. Serve him. Sow and tend the sheep. Remember the bookends right here. 
you have on both sides of the book, you've got the rich man and Lazarus on one side, which is that, that prompting that if I don't get this right, I spend eternity separated from God. And on the other end, you have that where it talks about Jesus as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed it all. Likewise, as it was in the days of Lot, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to the houses uh, to take them away. Likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that one night, there will be two men in one bed, and that one will be taken away, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. One will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. There's going to come a day when Christ will return, and there's going to be a separation of time, and the earth is going to, the, the heavens are going to roll up like a scroll. The earth is going to be consumed with fire. There's going to be a judgment. And before that, we're to be doing dominion work. We need to be prepared for that day so that we're not on the wrong side of the great void that's talked about with the rich man and Lazarus. But we also got to know that Christ is coming. What are we going to do with our time? What is it, then, that takes the energy of your life? What is the thing that takes your time? What is the things that takes your time? And, and one thing I was going to say is, um, don't try to justify the worthless things of your life. We try to do that because then it makes them seem less worthless. You know, oh, really, I was looking at Pinterest because I was going to decorate this whatever. Whatever the, you know, it's still worthless. You know it's worthless and they know it's worthless. That's why they mentioned it, because it's worthless. Don't try to justify it and don't be afraid to call it worthless because that's what it is. There is some sense of rest sometimes in looking at worthless things like, you name the thing, TV, whatever. You're tired, and your brain is shut off anyway, and you want to watch whatever you watch. Dancing with the Stars, that's what Jed likes. But you need to work in your life to eliminate the things that are worthless. Work in your life to eliminate the things that are worthless. Quit making justification for them. Quit making space for them, and eliminate the things in your life that are worthless. And begin to make prioritize the things that are dominion work in your life. I never really, I've read this parable a number of times, I'm sure you have. Everybody knows the mustard seed thing because it's, I guess, short and easy to memorize. But, but this thing about the servant plowing and tending sheep, I think about, I mean, I've done both of those things. My goats, they're free-range goats. My neighbor hates them because they get out and nibble on his trees. And it's just a thing you have to do is kind of constantly keep them in. In the, in the working of the plowing, the working in the fields, the, work, the labor of cutting timber or doing, or doing construction, or all those, those are tiring things. And I can't imagine, I see my wife, I mean, she works during the day as well, and then she comes home, and I say, What's, what are we having for supper? I mean, she's tired too. And then she makes the meal. Whether you're a housewife, you're a contractor, whatever you are, make sure that you're sowing and tending sheep within that. You can be a hard-working housewife. That's your sowing and planting. That's your tending sheep right there. You're tending those children. You're pointing them to the Lord. But in your 
rest period in your relaxation when the kids are taking a nap and you're talking to your girlfriends, your lady friends on the phone, be sowing, be tending the sheep, leading your children in the way of the Lord. Contractors, man, I know, like Zach, I know, Isaac, you, we talk to a ton of people in a day. Make sure those people don't escape your presence without hearing about Christ. Make sure that you're pushing them back to be good fathers in their families and to be um, dominion men in their, in their homes. Make sure that you're pushing them to take their families to church on Sunday. You can do it. What's taking your energy? What takes your time in your life? Is it dominion things or silly things? And I'm serious about this. Make a list. Go home and make a list and just see what you spend your life on. And know that there's a time of judgment coming. And there's a separation for those that do not know the Father. It may be that you're spending a lot of your most valuable God-given asset, your life and your time, on things that are worthless. Convert in that, and let's, let's do this in dominion things. I think about our fellowship as we go to this next year, and I wonder what it would look like. And I, I know this church is a very generous church as far as giving. I, so many times, I got, I got people I can go to, some in this church and some outside this church. If I needed $5,000 today, I know a man I could go to him and he'd write me the check. One guy is $8,000. That's my limit. I went to that one, and he gave me $8,000 one time. I said, man, I need $8,000. It was the only way we were making the $50,000. And then, uh, uh, so, I, so, yeah, so we can be very generous. We can have a very generous spirit. But if all we are is generous to missions outside of Crossville, Tennessee, then we're not, we're not being complete slaves of Christ. We're doing good. I remember that in, in Corinthians where Paul was talking about this offering that he was gathering up for Jerusalem. It was a good thing. And they were very generous. But what God wants more than sacrifices of bulls and goats is a soft heart towards him. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He wants us to speak the truth to others. Sowing and tending the sheep. So I wrote down some things that I hope that we will accomplish in this next year. Um, a lot of things that we're doing now as a fellowship are good things. It's been very difficult the last year and a half or so as, as we've been limited on travel and finances and things like that. We had plenty of finances. We just couldn't do anything with it, so we paid the church off. No, we, we sent an awful lot of money this year to uh, Africa, to uh, Pastor Elias to Joel to Pastor Jess Well in Guatemala. We have had a couple little small trips. Me and Jed and Renetta went on a little short one. Um, we went somewhere else? Yeah, went to Guatemala. Anyway, so here, here's what we got coming up. There's five churches in Nicaragua, all of which are meeting in the bushes. Nicaragua has some persecution going on there. They got the drug cartel thing going on there. Um, you like those? You like a mission trip where you can do a little running and hiding and stuff like that? That's a good one. Uh, I would suggest not families on that one. But we can go and build. We can go and build those churches. These are church plants, and they are looking to plant other churches. That's why we bring Zach. I'm saying Zach could take four or five, four or five good shots before he goes down. So all you got to do is be ahead of Zach, and you're going to be fine. No, no. 
But Zach will blend in. At least he got the dark hair and everything. I'm, I'm, I stand out like a sore thumb down there. And I'm a foot taller than everyone else. He's only six inches taller. So the Nicaragua thing, good, five churches. There's a church in Mexicali, a pastor there who's planting churches. Needs some help with the church building that he has. He sent me a thing and said for 25000 he could finish the building that he has or whatever. I, I say we go see what he's doing first and see if that's what we want to be a part of. Um, I have on here continued support of existing missions. Um, in all those things, I know that we need to be careful that we're not just sending money because it's easier to send money than to go and do. But uh, there are some of those things that it's, it's uh, financially better for us to send money and pay for the thing that they're doing if it's building a church. We built some bathrooms there in uh, Zambia this year. We built them. We sent the money, and they built them. And I really like that better than a lot of times than us going and doing it ourselves. But um, uh, we need to uh, set some money aside uh, to hopefully put a roof on our church next year. I'd say it'd be somewhere in the twenty to $30,000 range because of uh, the shape that the roof is in. We need to take what's on here off, insulation off, and then reinsulate and put a new roof on. And, um, and then I talked to, to Kurt Casey the other day. And he said, well, what is it you're trying to do? He, he asked me this question. And I said, well, we'd really like to plant another church. And, I, and he said, well, would you consider joining another church? And I said, well, what are you talking about? And he was talking about Harmony Baptist down here. And I said, well, are they ready to give up? He said, no. I was like, well, then we can't help them because we already got caught in that trap. So, um, but I really think that we need to stay focused on looking to plant another church. The little church that we helped with out at Plateau uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Um, Jim, I don't know if you know this, is in the hospital. He's real sick. And um, so they're down to, and then the, the little guy that rang the bell for Sunday school, he passed away. Their deacon, the 99-year-old deacon, he passed away. And they're down to like three women. But uh, Central Baptist is sending some people out there to sing for him on Sundays. And uh, another guy's coming and filling the pulpit for him. It's sad that that church is going to die because those people are so hard-hearted in that. But there's other churches in the county that need need help in the same way. So either revitalizing another church and helping to develop that, looking to work in that, or uh, also planting another church in Cumberland County. There's work to be done there. Um, we can do it through a home church. We can do it for through another thing. But we need to get that back on the top of our vision of of looking to plant another church. We'll either plant it here or we'll plant it overseas, but we'll get it done. So I pray with God's uh, mercy and his direction in that, the God who goes before, that he'll make our way straight in that and uh, that we'll be able to accomplish that. Go home today, friends. Anything, anybody want to comment on that or got a testimony or anything of the church of the last year? We got the opportunity to baptize this young fellow up here, this red-headed guy, C.J., um, he talked to me this morning about wanting to be baptized, so I'm praying we'll do that next Sunday. Maybe we can talk to the, the Smith family Robinsons and go out there again and do it off there. they got a really nice place there at Tansy to baptize at, and um, and uh, so we'll probably do it there. I'm going to talk to him Saturday and, and get him make sure we're all speaking the same language and we understand what we're talking about. But that's an exciting thing, to see baptisms, to see people accept Christ. We've seen a few of those of late, and... Uh, it's the ministry of all believers to sow and to tend the sheep. So let's be diligent about that. Go home, make a list. I'm telling you, you might be discouraged. Go look on your phones. All your phones got a thing called screen time. Look on there, and it'll tell you. 
six hours. And it'll break it down. This much was texting. This much was phone calls. This much was YouTube. This much was whatever. It'll tell you. And you'll be like, dang, how much of my life am I spending on worthless things? And it'll help you get that tightened up, okay? And then, and then pray that God convicts you in your spirit to, to keep those things in check. That's the thing with sin. If we let sin run, it'll take us wherever it takes us. We've got to get a handle on that. Repent and confess your sin. Father, this morning, Lord, we are so grateful for this time that we had together, Lord. I am grateful for the years that we've had here at Plant Grow Harvest, Lord. I'm grateful for the years our computer lasted us. I'm grateful for these that have come. I'm grateful for the salvations and the baptisms, Lord. I'm grateful for these that have come this morning. I'm grateful for your hand that's been on us, that's directed us this far. Lord, we love you, and we're so, we're just so, we, we have nothing to say before you except direct us, Lord. Give us your guidance. Help us to understand what it is that you would have us to do next. Father, we're grateful for the, for the offerings that come, for the giving has been so generous. Lord, I pray that you direct the money. I pray that you direct the minds of the deacons. I pray that the deacons would be convicted in spirit to read your word daily and to, and to ponder what it is that would make this church a stronger, more influential fellowship in our community, Lord. I pray for the individual believers that are here, that each one would be convicted in spirit to tell someone about the hope that's within them today. Father, I pray that it would become a part of our daily life, that we no longer make these excuses of being tired or, or being lazy or whatever, that we cannot go and, and sow and tend. Lord, convict us in spirit that everyone that goes by, we see them as a, as a potential kingdom member, and that we go out of our way to lead others to the gospel of Christ. Father, I pray that you provide abundant fruit for our fellowship. I pray that people would, would see it as a blessing to see new people come and to see new people accept Christ and grow in grace. I pray you give us a, a desire to disciple others. I pray for the fathers in here that they would disciple their children, that they would lead their wives well. I pray that the wives would, would humble themselves uh, with their husbands and listen to him and, and follow him as he leads as he leads in a godly way in the home. I pray that the children would be humble and listen to their mommies and daddies and they would be humble in listening and being obedient, Lord. I pray that the fathers as headship in the home, that they would remember that Christ is above them and that they would seek to, to humble themselves before you, Lord, that they would seek to do your will every day. Father, I pray for your blessing on this place. It's a good place. I know your presence is here. I've seen your work in this place. I've seen your, the outpouring of your spirit in this place. We've seen positive, miraculous things happen through the people of this place. Lord, we pray for the different missionaries that we support through this place. Lord, we pray for the different community things that we have a part of in this place. I pray for the ministries of the individual people in this place, Lord, that they would be honoring, humble, and obedient to you, Lord. Help us to put aside the worthless things and to take dominion over the earth like you commanded. Lord, we give you this time this morning. We thank you for the food in the hands that prepared it, Lord. We pray for those ladies that are so diligent to work week after week to prepare meals for us. Lord, open our eyes to those that are in need of the gospel and give us the spirit to tell them the boldness to be excellent witnesses for you. In the name of, above all names, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. pray you'll stay and eat with us this morning. If you want to come talk to me, I'll be here. We've got 10 minutes on the food, so stay in here and start making your list. I'll tell you what would be real good. 
Let your spouse make your list for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying, uh, I'm saying read the list. I'm saying read the list. Don't uh, speak it out loud. It's going to be a few minutes on the food, they said. What was that? We got a business meeting on uh, the, last, the last Sunday in August, 29th. Okay. We do have a business meeting then. Hey, here's another thing. If you have a ministry in mind, you have a ministry that you got going on, and, and we have been, like I said, we've been very blessed with giving. We don't want to stop giving. All the buildings paid off, we can stop giving. Okay. You can do that if you choose, but just know you'll be judged, whatever. I'm never going to judge you in that, truly. I'm never going to come over there and, and twist your arm and say, well, you've got to give more. You're not giving up. I'm never going to come look at your 1099 or your W-2. I'm not going to do that. It's not, it's not my business between you and the Lord. But I will say that we do have very low overhead here. The fact that Jed and I are not being, being paid or Sarah is not being paid or secretaries are not being paid a salary week by week gives us a lot of flexibility to be able to serve more in other places. But I will say, as a member of this church, you get to help direct where those monies go. If you don't speak and tell me or tell someone, uh, we don't know. If you have a ministry, like one of the ministries we do that's locally is Invitation Ministries, if you're interested in being a part of that, it's doing a good thing. Sarah Myers is doing a good thing. Uh, she's really ministering to these girls that are kind of coming out of, the, out of drugs and things like that. It's a lot of doctrine. It's a lot of that kind of, of deep learning. They're housing these girls. They're kind of keeping them safe. Some of them are coming out of dangerous, you know, home lives and stuff like that. Um, you know, if that's your thing and you want to be a part of that, um, go get in contact. We are giving towards that. We, we can give towards other local things. We've really struggled with the decision to give money to food banks that are already in existence in Crossville because there's so much of it, I don't believe that that's a need that needs to be addressed in Cumberland County. I'm not saying there's not people that are hungry. You know people that are hungry, we'll feed them just like that. We'll take them food every day if that's what they need. I'm saying for our church to give to a church that, or to start a food pantry or something like that, I just don't think that's what we need to be doing as a church. If you have a benevolence need that you know of, um, I only know of the ones that I come in contact with. I do come in contact with people at the mission, and uh, in some cases, pretty rarely, will we do something benevolence-wise with them. But if you have a, if you know of a benevolence need, all you gotta do is let us know. We have money set aside for benevolence, and uh, but we we are somewhat careful in that. Uh, but if you know the people and you say it's a good thing, we're gonna trust you in that one. So if you have missionaries that you're supporting, we need to you know come alongside or doing something this Nicaragua thing this is a new place for us we've done a lot in Peru it looks like that's kind of drying up because of their government there so it looks like we need a new place to go this Nicaragua thing could be a very good deal for us a place to teach a place to do evangelism and a place to build and it's all the stuff that we do but I will say it's probably more men oriented it is more dangerous place so um, they're probably not gonna shoot you Zach run move a lot they're harder to hit that way but uh, no, it is somewhat dangerous there. But uh, I don't think the area that we're going to is particularly dangerous. There's, it's like anything, you know, different parts of Mexico are very dangerous and other parts not. The Mexicali thing is, is a good thing too because families can go and we can stay in California. We can go work during the day and come back and stay in California. It's close enough to the, to the Calexico, El Centro that we can stay on the American side and and just travel back and forth and work during the day. So it's, it might be something. And also, uh, 
Oscar's Church, yeah. If there's an opportunity to go and work in Oscar's Church, I say we go this winter sometime, like January, February, in their cool months, because it is hotter than the center of the earth down there and uh, in the other months. And we can go down there. We can do uh, things with their music. We can do things with inviting. We can do things with their youth. And we can do things with uh, maybe kind of dolling up their, their building a little bit. Or we might go down there and do some construction on their building. So that gives you some options there. So, but you got to tell me because we're going to make our schedule in October for the giving plan for the for the next year. So please let me know on that, okay? Next week we're starting Genesis, unless something else happens. Plan on going to the beginning, and uh, so next week we're going to start in Genesis. And I just ordered a thing for the youth, and if it comes this week, I'll let Isaac know. But it might be the next week before we get started. And I know, Abby, you think you're beyond the youth, but this is a really good uh, uh, little video series. It's from the guy that did Wretched Radio. And I'm going to tell you, Abby, as you go off to college, Abby, that they're going to do everything in their power. They have done it with my kids, and they're going to do it to you. They're going to do everything in their power in every class, and they're going to drive you and your thinking away from the one true God. They're going to tell you that there's no way that creation is real. They're going to tell you that God is not the creator, that there is no God, that evolution's where it's at, that everything's evolved from a a whatever, the Big Bang. You're going to hear that, and you're going to hear it in a very convincing way. So whether you come to this youth thing or not, I pray that you'll maybe watch this series. Just watch it on your own. It'll be good. And, uh, um, And just know, parents, that your kids are getting that in high school. It doesn't just start in college. They're getting it very young. Do what? Oh, yeah, they begin right away. They begin very young. So we need to be countering that. As believers, we know the truth. We have the truth in the book. Abby, believe the truth. Read the book every day. 